Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back into the Dan Cave, everyone. A special episode for you today as huge Seahawk news. If you haven't heard already, the Seahawks have acquired Jadevian Clowney from the Houston Texans. We're going to get into that, look at it from every angle conceivable. But first, I want to apologize in advance. If I sound a little rough today, it's because I feel a little rough, a little under the weather, fighting a pretty nasty cold. Uh, But I'm playing hurt. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to show some grit. Pete Carroll would be proud. Uh, I'm going to rub rub some dirt on it. And um, if this was any other Saturday, I may may have forgone recording an episode this week. That's uh, how crummy I feel. But this this is big news. And, And arguably one of the biggest trades in Seahawks history. It's been brewing for some time now. We heard the reports leak out early this week. Um, we knew Clowney's situation in Houston, that he was at the end of his rookie contract and was refusing to sign the tender, that he was insulted by reports that the Texans wanted to trade him, wanted to move on from him, and so he refused to sign the tender. Remember, one of the aspects to this to keep in mind is the Houston Texans are operating without a general manager right now. Um, they tried to hire the guy from New England this offseason. They were accused of tampering. And then they announced that they were going to go through the season and, and spread some of the responsibilities among head coach Bill O'Brien and some of the other personnel staff. Everybody assumes they're just going to wait until the next offseason go after their number one target. But but they were at a bit of a disadvantage, and they may have misplayed this a little bit. Just so you understand the situation, if, if, if you're not up to speed on it, because the deadline passed for franchised players to sign their franchise tag, Clowney cannot sign a new contract with the Texans or any other team until after the league year this year. So that alone put the Texans at a disadvantage because Clowney then held more leverage. He could simply refuse to sign the tender if he didn't like the team he was being traded to. And technically, the Texans couldn't have agreed to a trade anyway. They could agree to the parameters of a trade, but it wouldn't be official in the league office until Clowney signed his tender. So he would have to agree to it. Then Clowney wrestled away even more of the leverage from the Texans earlier this week when it was reported, and clearly this was leaked from Clowney's side, that he had two teams that he preferred to play for, the Philadelphia Eagles or the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the best trade fit, in some ways, was the Miami Dolphins. We heard all about that. The Texans and Dolphins were deep in talks last week about a possible trade. The Texans wanted Laramie Tunsil, left tackle. They need offensive line help. They desperately need offensive line help. The assumption was any trade that they made involving Clowney would bring back some sort of help for their offensive line. 
try to build a foundation for Deshaun Watson, build around their young quarterback. We know what that's like, right? Being here in Seattle and seeing what they've finally done around Russell Wilson by building up the offensive line. As, as late as last night even, it seemed extremely unlikely that the Seahawks would be able to work out a trade for Clowney. And even uh, Corbin Smith of the Seahawk Maven, who I work with there, said on the Locked On Seahawks podcast yesterday, he put the chances of this happening at about 10%. But something happened late last night that may have changed all of this in that reportedly Clowney flat out told the Texans that under no circumstances would he agree to any deal that would involve him going to the Miami Dolphins. So he removed any doubt, any questions about a deal being able to be made between the, between those two teams. I woke up at about six o'clock this morning for a couple of reasons. One, Erica was getting ready to go to work. And two, I felt like crap and needed to get on the uh, medication train as soon as possible. <clears throat> so I also just had a feeling that something might be happening and I didn't want to miss out on it. So I brewed myself some coffee, opened up the laptop and immediately started to see it developing in front of my own eyes. And the first the first real legitimate report that came out was from Tom Pelissero and Mike Garofalo from NFL Network, who said that the Seahawks and Texans were deep into talks. At that same time, I started to communicate with Corbin, and he said his sources told him the deal was 85% done. That's when I knew that this, this was going to happen. Went back and forth a little bit, um, and for about a half an hour, it's amazing. This, this is my favorite thing about Twitter. It's why I joined Twitter 10 years ago was for breaking news. You could see the timeline happening in front of your eyes. Within five or 10 minutes after Pelissero and Garofalo broke that story, some names were being bandied about. And there were some local reporters for the Texans who got in on this. And they were saying that the names they were hearing were Jermaine Effetti and Ethan Posick. Or not Ethan Posick, Justin Britt, the Seahawks center. Made a lot of sense. A Fetty going back as far as a week or two when some of these rumors and speculation started made sense as a target. He's at the end of his rookie deal. Even though he showed great improvement last year, there's no guarantee the Seahawks uh, exercise or chose not to exercise his fifth-year option for next year, putting his status long-term in doubt. Um, there were questions about, is there enough depth there? Would George Fant or Jamarco Jones be able to pick up the slack if they were to trade a Fetty? But that seemed like the deal that was going to be made. There was a, a reporter for the Texans who was saying Britt and a Fetty were the names being talked about and a second round pick. Clearly that was being leaked from the Texan side because the deal as it ended up being was the Seahawks are sending a third round pick in 2020 and linebackers Barkevius Mingo and Jacob Martin to the Texans. And funny enough, after those initial reports, there was about a 20 to 25-minute period of kind of radio silence on Twitter. So you knew something was happening. And then Jay Glazer, who we hadn't heard from all morning, jumped in and was the first to break that it had been completed pending physicals. But also that Clowney is in Seattle right now, which likely means he got here yesterday 
to take his physical. So all of this should get done. Let's back up a little bit and just let's let's meet Jadevian Clowney. And first of all, and I wanted to confirm this this morning, because um, I've always pronounced his name as Jadevian, but it's actually pronounced Jadevian. So we got to get that right now, right? Jadevian Clowney, 26 years old. He was the first pick in the 2014 draft coming out of South Carolina. There were some concerns about, well, there were two concerns. There was no denying just the raw physical talent. But there was a concern about motor and desire uh, that he may have coasted through his last year at South Carolina knowing he was going to be a top pick, may not have given full effort. There were also concerns about his knee. And those dogged him throughout his rookie season. Only played four games his first year. Ended up having to have two procedures on his knee, including microfracture surgery. And at the time, microfracture was still kind of a risky proposition. Um, Very, very um, serious and significant knee procedure. Came back to play 13 games his second year. And then his last three years, and I want to emphasize this because there are still people who think he's an injury risk. When these rumors first started to percolate, a lot of Seahawks fans, oh, I don't want to touch that guy. Don't know if he can stay healthy. Over the last three years, he's played in a pot in 45 out of a possible 48 games. He's only missed three games over the last three years. Over that span, 24 and a half sacks with 53 tackles for loss. He hasn't put up the gaudy, crazy sack numbers. That tackle for loss number is pretty significant. But nine and a half sacks two years ago, nine sacks a year ago. To go with six sacks in 2016. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't know about Clowney. And I didn't really understand this either until I started looking closer at him when this started to sound like it could happen. He's considered in league circles as an elite run defender. An elite guy setting the edge against the run. So he's a two-way player. He's a three-down player. What the Seahawks gave up. Mingo was going to be cut. Markevious Mingo was not going to make this team. The, The club tried converting him to a to strictly a stand-up pass rusher to help in that area because there was a need. He was a non-factor in the preseason. A non-factor. And you had to think something was up with his status on the the roster anyway uh, because he played the entire game Thursday against the Raiders in the fourth preseason game. Not usually a good sign for a veteran player. Jacob Martin had a lot of upside, had a lot of potential. Had three sacks last year as a rookie after being drafted in the sixth round. Extremely quick and twitchy, but undersized. Well, shorter, a little undersized. And they gave up a third-round pick. Remember, the Seahawks had two third-round picks in 2020. Their own, and then a compensation pick that they're going to get for the deal Earl Thomas signed as a free agent with Baltimore. If Clowney, well, I'll get into that in a second. The big deal here for me is what's the risk 
And what's the reward? First, let's look at the risk. What's the worst that can happen? To me, the worst that can happen is Clowney gets hurt. But, but that's that can happen to anyone. That can happen to Russell Wilson tomorrow, which would change the whole equation. For me, it kind of keeps coming back to Ziggy Ansah. Worst case scenario if, is Ansa can't recover fully, although the team says he's 100% recovered from the shoulder surgery, that he's not 100% or that he gets, gets hurt again. He has a much, much more checkered injury history than Clowney does. And then, essentially, you're talking about another elite edge rusher when he's healthy. So, essentially, now you're swapping Clowney for Ansa. Your upgrade at that spot is then mitigated by the loss of Anson. You're back in the same boat. One elite edge rusher in Clowney and then a bunch of other role guys and an unproven raw rookie in LJ Collier. So for this move to truly pay off, the Seahawks need Ansa and Clowney to be healthy this year. To me, that's it. That's really the risk. And a bunch of you right now are probably saying, well, well, no, the real risk is if you you did all of this and and he ends up leaving as a free agent next year. Okay, I get that. But he will certainly command a massive contract in free agency next year if the Seahawks don't franchise tag him, and you can do that too. That option will be there for them as well. So they would likely get back a third-round pick in 2020 as compensation. So really you're renting him for a year, even if he walks next year, you gave up a situational edge rusher that was only going to play on passing downs in Jacob Martin. And that only cost you a six round pick last year and a guy you were going to cut by one o'clock today anyway. And you just defer a third round pick for a year. It's a no brainer, but keep in mind, Clowney wanted to play here. Can't sign a deal until the end of the year. Can't even negotiate one, although I'm sure that those conversations can be had informally. Apparently, Dwayne Brown, uh, the former Texan, is very, very close with Jadavion Clowney and was kind of pushing for this. He may have some insight. Clowney wanted to play here. And so it would stand to reason that if it goes well, that he would be open to staying long-term. A couple of aspects to this. I think John Schneider played this absolutely perfectly. There was a lot, there was a lot of fear and trepidation among fans this morning on Twitter. Oh God, are we going to overpay? Is Schneider going to make, Going to make the same mistake that he made in trading for Jimmy Graham, Percy Harvin? Is he going to overpay? Especially when Britt's name came up. A lot of people thought, oh, look what happened the last time we traded a center. Schneider knew that he had all the leverage. And I believe, and this is key to making any kind of a deal, I believe he was willing to just say no. He was willing to walk away. The Jimmy Graham, the Percy Harvin deals... Looking back on those, you tend to think he had set his sights on a player. He fell in love with the idea of the player. He wanted that player. He targeted him, and he was going to make a deal happen no matter what. 
In this case, he sat back. He let the phone calls come to him. You want Jermaine Effetti? Nope. You want Justin Britt? Nope. We just spent two years building up our offensive line. I'm not going to tear it down now. Here's what I am willing to give you. And the Texans had no recourse. They knew they had to get something for him. They couldn't let this thing go into the regular season. Clowney was never going to play another down for them. And their preferred trade partner, he didn't want to play for them either. So Schneider just sat back and let this deal come to him. Brilliant. Really, really brilliant. And now, we're not as reliant on Ziggy Ansa coming back healthy. But if all those guys are healthy, you're talking about one of the best front sevens in football. Especially after week six when Jaron Reed comes back. But even before then, what we've seen from Puna Ford at the end of last year and in this preseason, looks like he may be on the verge of becoming an elite interior defender. Ansa and Clowney, both edge rushers that are capable of playing all three downs. The rotational defensive tackles they have in Reed's place while he's gone, Al Woods, Earl Mitchell, Jamie Meter, guys that are really stout against the run, and then those three linebackers, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Michael Kendricks. You're talking about an elite run-defending front seven. And now, what do we see this preseason? The Seahawks got some pass pressure, but what did they do to get that pressure? They were blitzing. They were sending linebackers. It was a massive departure from what we've seen Carroll's preference as far as scheme goes. He prefers to get pressure with four up front, drop seven into coverage. He can do more of that now. I hope he doesn't give up on the idea of being more aggressive because I think that would really make us a dynamic defense. Still not knowing. Kendricks is such a good pass rusher from the linebacker spot. So is Wagner. Still want to see him send some of those guys and not just rely on the front four. It also is going to help take pressure off of what is a very young secondary. Now, if you're getting consistent pressure, especially from those two guys off the edge, now those young guys with that learning curve, they don't have to cover as long. Takes pressure off LJ Collier. Coming back off the injury, maybe ready for week one, but isn't going to be 100%, was still raw, needed to refine some technique. He's not going to be counted on to carry the load early on. People aren't going to be looking for him to get eight, nine, ten sacks as a rookie year. Let's look at the salary cap implications because I think one of the the hidden benefits of this trade is that it, it really doesn't hamstring the Seahawks financially. Going into today, according to Over the Cap, overthecap.com, Seattle had 21.3-ish million dollars under the salary cap. Most of that from trading Frank Clark. They didn't go out, sign any big free agents, spend any of that capital. Were they looking that far ahead? Could they see this as a possibility back then? Maybe. 
The franchise tag that Clowney will sign guarantees him $15.967 million, so $16 million. Mingo, by trading Mingo, the team saves $4.1 million. By trading Jacob Martin, it's a little less than $500,000. So the net salary cap taken up by Jadevian Clowney in this trade, a little over $11 million, $11.4. Team still has $10 million in cap space before moves today. Ed Dixon could be released if they reach an injury settlement. That'll save him even more money. There are other guys that could be let go today that would save the team a little bit more in cap space as well. So there could be more acquisitions coming. The team may be looking for a veteran slot corner, for instance. Another thing I want to address, because this is something that was asked a lot earlier in the week. Why Clowney and not Clark? Why trade away Frank Clark, who's slightly younger, entering his prime, who was homegrown? You drafted him. You developed him. Why not just commit to him four months ago? Why trade him away and then go out and acquire Jadavian Clowney? A couple of key points here. At the time that Frank Clark was stating that he wasn't going to sign the tag, he wasn't going to report, he was going to hold out until he got a long-term deal. The Seahawks still hadn't given Russell Wilson his extension yet, and they hadn't extended Bobby Wagner yet. Those were unknowns. They may have had some level of confidence that they were going to get those deals done, but until the bottom line is signed, you don't know for sure. So there was some, there was some uncertainty. They didn't know exactly what their financial picture was going to look like this year or for 2020, 2021, et cetera. I think they were caught off guard right before the draft by the DeMarcus Lawrence deal with Dallas. There were a lot of reports that there was progress and that they were confident they could get Clark signed to a long-term deal, but that was when they thought they could get him in the 17, 18 million a year range. And then Lawrence signs for about 21 for about 21 million a year. And that kind of threw the Seahawks for a loop. I think it stunned them. So that's one of the reasons they waited. They also were able to gain some draft capital by trading Clark at the time. And I want to go to a tweet that Aaron Levine from Q13 sent out today. And he really summed this up brilliantly. At the beginning of the offseason, right, when they still had Frank Clark before the draft, Wilson still unsigned. Wagner still unsigned. Jaron Reed going into last year his deal. All this uncertainty. This is what Aaron tweeted. John Schneider began this offseason with four draft picks and Frank Clark and ended it with 11 draft picks and Jadevian Clowney. Remember that. The Seahawks only had four picks in this draft back in April. But by trading Clark to Kansas City, they got the first rounder. They got a second rounder next year. And then they traded down from that first round pick and added a bunch of other assets. So that leads me to my next tweet that I want to read because this is one of the first things I thought of when we made this deal was I can't wait to sit down and figure out the, the full scope 
It's a lot of fun to do this. You've seen a lot of this with the Mariners rebuild this year, how one trade can kind of lead to another one and you put them all together. And and this is really in the big picture what the trade was. So guy that I've followed from the very beginning, Jeff uh, at history teach underscore 12. Seattle basically traded Frank Clark, Barkevius Mingo, Jacob Martin, and a third round pick. Okay, and these two deals combined, that's what the Seahawks gave up. Clark, Mingo, who they were going to cut, Martin, and a third-round pick. But in what we got back in the Clark trade and what we turned that pick into after trading down, the Seahawks received LJ Collier, a 2020 second-rounder, Clowney, and then rookies Marquise Blair, DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, Ugo Amadi, Ben Burr, Kervin, and Travis Homer. That's why Jadevian Clowney is a Seahawk today and Frank Clark isn't. Not that they foresaw this coming. They may have not even thought it was a possibility. But they probably figured they could do something else. If they if this, if this trade wouldn't have culminated today. The Seahawks would have done something else to address edge. They would have found somebody else about to be cut, given up a late round pick for him, or just scanned the waiver wire and picked up somebody that could have helped. It's it's really remarkable where we sit here today. And when you think about this as well, the Seahawks still have nine picks next year. They have an extra two and an extra four. So going into next season, they had about, here, let me check. So 2020, again, according to Over the Cap, the Seahawks stand to have $62.3 million in cap space in 2020. It goes up to 93 million in 2021. And then 2022 and 23, it's like crazy. So if things work out, Clowney plays well, loves it here, the Seahawks could extend him. They could afford to extend him next year. What that does for Jaron Reed's situation, don't know. Allow yourself to get excited about this. But also temper your enthusiasm a little bit because let's let's keep this in perspective. This may take this may take a little time for this to come together. Ants has been out, had the shoulder surgery, just started practicing last week. Looks like if he gets through this week of practice without any issues, he'll play week one. But how sharp is he going to be? Is the burst going to be there? Are the instincts going to be there? Hasn't played football in a while. Clowney has been out all of training camp. He may only be available week one in a couple of obvious, obvious passing situations. Team may not want to push that too hard. Fortunately, the schedule makers gave us a gift, and we're playing a Cincinnati team that's got some real issues up front on the offensive line. It's young, new coaching staff, some real issues there in Cincinnati. So to get them at home in week one may be the perfect situation given these changes at the last minute for the Seahawks. 
Reed is still out for six games. So look for this thing to come together as the season progresses, which, as we know, has always been a mark of Pete Carroll teams anyway, but could ring even more true this year because of all those factors and because of all the young guys that they're playing on defense this year. The thing I like the best about this is it, when you put it together with how they approached this year's draft, is the Seahawks are so much better equipped and so much more well-built to match up with the three other teams in their division. The NFC West, maybe more than any other division in football, other than the Seahawks, is predicated upon spread passing concepts. Cliff Kingsbury bringing the air raid full tilt into Arizona. Sean McVay with what he's done with the Rams. And then Kyle Shanahan, who has a few more kind of old school West Coast principles built into his offense. But it's still, it's built on spreading the field, throwing the ball around to multiple receivers, horizontally and vertically, using your backs. Now the Seahawks have built themselves a front four They can shut down the run. This should be one of the top five run defenses in the league. It's going to force teams to pass, and now they match up better with you in the passing game because they can pressure you you with four, and especially with these young guys in this year's draft class. They can cover you all over the field. They can cover your backs and your tight ends with our linebackers. We can cover all your crossing routes. And when you do catch the ball over the middle field, we're going to hit you. So they're built to compete against the teams in this division better than they were three hours ago. And the team's not even done yet. As I record this, we still have two hours to go until the deadline for cuts. And keep in mind, even though the deadline is 1 o'clock Pacific time, teams are under no requirement to release names And sometimes these things go and you don't hear things until two or three hours afterwards. The Seahawks are one of the most tight-lipped in the league at getting their names out. And so sometimes they have to filter out through other sources, such as player agents or players themselves. But there may be more moves to be had. We talked about how they still have some financial flexibility. They may be in the market for a veteran slot corner. They may be looking at another veteran receiver. There are more moves to be made. And looking at John Schneider's history, he's not done yet. I also look for them to make a couple of deals where we get even more picks in return. New England Patriots are so good at doing this. You take guys at the bottom of your roster that have appealed to other teams and you trade them for sixths, sevenths in future years. Seahawks have the deepest roster this year that they've had since 2015. Cutdown day wasn't a big deal the last two years. In fact, we were more concerned with who can we pick up off the waiver wire for upgrades at the bottom of the roster. Not so this year. We're going to see players released by the Seahawks today that are going to get snatched up by other teams. There's that much good young depth on this roster. How is this going to affect some of the guys on the bubble? I wrote for Seahawk Maven the other day about how difficult it may be for the team to keep Ben Burr-Kirvin. Would hate to see him released at this point. 
fifth round draft pick out of the University of Washington. I love his upside as a long term replacement for KJ Wright. Um, and him together with Cody Barton really gives them a great foundation of young linebackers to kind of build for the next three, four years with Bobby Wagner still there. And he had the phenomenal performance against the Raiders, was all over the field, looked decisive, looked quick, great tackler, rushed the passer, got his hand on a ball. He's a, he has some size limitations. There's a reason he slipped to the fifth round of the draft, so maybe you could sneak him through to the practice squad. I hate taking that risk. I don't think the Clowney deal affects that spot at all. Really, that one comes down to how is Shaquem Griffin's knee? Looked like he ag- aggravated again against uh, the Raiders on Thursday. Could they put him on IR, give him a red shirt year, and that would save a, ros- a roster spot for BBK? I do think the Clowney move affects Cassius Marsh. He may have been on the bubble. Um, with Jacob Martin and still here. Um, I don't know. I, I hope they can find a way to keep Marsh on the roster because I think now as a rotational piece, not a guy that you're counting on to be one of your starting defensive ends, but a rotational piece, I think Cassius Marsh can be a six to eight sack guy in that system. Uh, very similar to what he did for the 49ers last year. Um, what are they going to do about Ed Dixon today? The injured tight end. Um, are they going to carry him through to week one? so they can put him on IR and bring him back later in the year or reach an injury settlement with him, release him, save even more money against the salary cap, put him on IR for the season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Ed Dixon. Another similar decision, David Moore. It sounds like the team is more optimistic now that that shoulder injury is not going to keep him out long-term. But again, they have to carry him on the 53-man roster through to that first week if they are thinking about putting him on, on injured reserve and bringing him back or just having him as an inactive player for the first few weeks, if they think he's only going to be out three or four weeks. So there's a little bit of dead weight that they may have on that 53 man roster after today, unfortunately, because of injuries. So more moves coming, but today, obviously the focus is on um, a game changing trade for Jadevian Clowney. Uh, depending on how you felt about the Seahawks' chances to be a contender for the division title or the Super Bowl, um, whether you thought they were an eight and eight team and 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 you know might be on the outside looking in on a playoff spot, or you thought they were a nine or a ten win team, Clowney clearly improves their chances of competing in this division and if getting to the next level, he addresses the number one question mark that people had about this team of whether or not they could be competitive against the Rams and the 49ers in the West, and that was pass rush, and that was up front. How are you going to replace the production of Frank Clark? Well, they've done that. They appear to have done that. And you're allowed to dream a little bit now on the combination of Ansa and Clowney if they can both be healthy and see what they can do together. So it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thanks for bearing with me today with the uh, with the rough voice. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet and you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on whatever podcast format that you're listening to so that you can get notifications when there are new episodes. Uh, next week, we will have a lot to talk about. The dust will have settled on the roster. We'll be able to make a full assessment 
on all the roster cuts, trades, moves, the final 53 as we head towards the Bengals. We'll do a preview of that Bengals game, see how the Seahawks match up with Cincinnati. We'll talk some college football. We'll take a look at Anthony Gordon's debut as a starting quarterback for the Cougars. Fascinating story there. I'm really interested to see how he does tonight against New Mexico State as the Cougars open their season. Also interested to see how Jacob Eason looks for the Huskies. So much hype about Eason, the Lake Stevens product, the transfer from Georgia, uh, his pro prospects, um, being named the starter, causing Jake Hayner to transfer out. The Huskies have um, a tremendous opportunity this year um, to possibly compete uh, for the for a final four spot, and that may depend on how good Eason looks. Um, is he a complete quarterback, or is he just a guy with a gun for an arm? There are questions about that. We will start to get our first evidence today as they open the season in just a few moments, actually, from now against Eastern Washington. So we'll take a look at that as well. And as tomorrow is September 1st, the Mariners roster will expand, so we'll have some call-up news. Get to put eyes on a few more of the Mariners' top prospects as the season enters its final month, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Follow me on Twitter, if you don't already, at Seahawks Forever. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week here in the Dan Cave. I'm Dan Viennes. As always, go Seahawks with Jadevin and Clowney. Go Mariners and go Cougs. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Viennes.